we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. So if you will, take your Bible and turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation and chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. In the previous chapter, it talks about the, the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles that trusted the Lord during the tribulation period. And it says that there were multitudes of all nations and so on that trusted the Lord but were killed during the tribulation period. So the tribulation period is a time that God has described in his word. But what we have is the cross and this is where we are right now. We are right here. And the rapture takes place. We're out of here. Then there will be seven years tribulation period upon the earth. And then Christ comes back to the earth to rule upon the earth. So that's a simple layout. But in understanding that, when you study the scriptures, you need to know where to hang the scriptures. Say, well, this belongs here or this belongs there. And it will help you tremendously. Now here in the book of Revelation chapter 8, we're going to see that it starts off with about the seven angels who had the seven trumpets uh, that is going to deliver uh, seven messages of judgment upon the earth. Uh, chapter 7, it talks about the, the angels and the four corners of the earth and they were not to do their um, responsibility or fulfill it until the 144,000 were sealed. And so they were not to hurt the earth. So the first four trumpets of the angels that we find here in chapter 8, when it starts being fulfilled, uh, remember chapter 7 says not to do it until. So we know that this has to be after the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. So I want you to look there in verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now the Bible does not really tell us why there's this silence. I know that whenever the high priest and they was going through the, the ceremony and uh, the, the ritual of making sacrifices for sins and so forth, uh, there was always a lot of singing and trumpets blowing and people praising the Lord and so forth. Uh, but when the priest goes into the, high, the, the holy place, then it, it, it got quiet. And whether or not we cause us uh, in the presence of the Lord and what's going on, I, I don't really know. But anyway, uh, aren't you glad that when you get to heaven, though, it, it's not about men and women. Uh, it just it says we're all one in, in heaven. Uh, it's hard to understand that, uh, you know, it's not male and female up there. We're not going to get married and uh, have kids in heaven. Uh, we're going to have a body like the Lord. But that's another sermon for another day. But right now, I want you to see here in verse 2. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, they are preparing themselves to sound. See there in verse 6, the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So then, that's starting the fulfillment of the, the seven trumpets. But what I want you to also look at is there in verse 5. Where it says in verse 5, And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar, and cast it into the earth, and there was voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. Now these four things that are mentioned here is mentioned in several other scriptures. A lot of times whenever you're studying, you're, you're looking for key words, key verses. 
uh, some little truth that unlocks the door. Well, the Word of God is in such a way that uh, it's like if you really want to know, you have to search. You have to find the key. And sometimes we find them and sometimes we don't. And there's a few keys that I haven't found. But there's a few that I feel like I have that kind of unlocks and helps you to understand a portion of Scripture. Now, it's difficult sometimes to teach the whole book of Revelation without ever going back to the book of uh, Daniel. Uh, these two books go together, just like the book of Ephesians and the book of uh, Joshua. They kind of go together uh, about victory and so on. But anyway, I, I want you to take your Bible and turn all the way over there to the book of Daniel. Daniel in chapter 2. You say, well, what does this have to do with the book of Revelation? Well, you'll see. There's always a connection. But in the book of Daniel in chapter 2, it tells us about a man named Nebuchadnezzar that had a, a vision. He had a dream. It was more like a nightmare. And um, he wanted uh, somebody that could explain it. So, of course, God enabled Daniel to understand the dream and the interpretation of the dream. So he starts off there in verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, belly and arms of silver, belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, and feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon the feet that was of iron and clay, and break them together. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, and there was no place found for them. And the stone was that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So when you read that, you can probably, because you've been a Christian, understand some things about prophecy and so on. You can kind of figure what it's talking about. But what we have here is that we have a, an image of a, um, a man. And this man is a, a beast. So we know that number one was the, the head of gold. That was Nebuchadnezzar. Then there was the Medes and the Persians. And then after them, the Alexandrian Empire. And then the Roman Empire. But then it talked about, and there was ten toes. And then it tells us that there's going to be a stone that's going to come down and smite the ten toes and cause the whole image to crumble and be totally destroyed. So whenever I read this, I don't always start with the first one, number one, and then two, and three, and four, and five. Though there are a lot of people in studying Scripture, that's, that's what they do. And it seems like that would be a logical thing. you got number one, number two, and then it's in order. But there seems to be a problem down in the uh, verses 41 and 42 and so on. Is, though, is there four here or is there five here? And so that's why many people teach a revival of the Roman Empire, that the last one is just a, a revival of it. Uh, well, as you study the Scriptures, you'll find out also it says that the last one, that there's never been a, a kingdom like this kingdom. And whenever it says the stone that smites the ten toes, that it causes all of them to be destroyed together. See there in verse 35, Then was the iron, one, clay, two, three, brass, and silver, and gold, there's five mentioned there, broken to pieces, and there's that word, 
together. Uh, look there in chapter 2 and look in verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. And I believe in these kings. Let's talk about these ten that I'll show you in just a minute. And it says, shall set up a kingdom. So we know that the last one, line up the last ones that it mentions, and then go backwards instead of going forward. So instead of here, going this way, and up here, go that way. That ought to work. Ought to be the same thing. Ought to come out with the same thing. So if these are here are existing, when Christ comes back, the stone cut out of the mountain of the kingdom and sets up his kingdom. So that's why he says here, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. So God is going to set up his kingdom. So we know that the kingdom that God sets up, it comes right after this one. So there's one, two, three, four, five. And then he's going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. So as I read this and study this, I believe that there's, uh, there's five. Look here in verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. There's five things mentioned here. And so there's just four. In verse 40, he talks about the fourth is the Roman Empire. Now, the fourth may be the Roman Empire, but these last ten toes is a different one altogether. And I believe there's a good possibility, not only does history repeat itself, that this one has come and gone, the Medes and the Persians have come, and gone. The Alexandrian Empire has come and gone. The Roman Empire has come and gone. And there's one right ahead of us. Because, see, we still have Iraq. We still got Greece. We still got Rome. I mean, those places are still around. You still got Persia, which is all like Iraq over there, and, uh, and those countries that are coming together and talking about Libya and uh, Ethiopia and a few other little places that uh, you find in the book of... Uh, Ezekiel chapter 38. But what I want you to see is this. As you line them up, you will find that the key is the last one because that's the one that has to stay the same for the stone, which is Christ, to destroy. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And this is when, in the first year of Belshazzar, uh, he, he has another dream. And uh, this one he says in verse 3, And he had a dream, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Look in verse 1. The first was like a lion. But you'll notice if you have, how many of you in here have the old Schofield reference Bible? All right. What does it say right above it? What kingdom is this first one? Nebuchadnezzar. And the second one is the Medes and the Persian. And the third one is the Alexandrian. And the fourth one is the Roman Empire. So see, there's taken in Daniel and chapter 7, it talks about four kingdoms. But they seem to miss something along the way. Because this is about four kingdoms that shall arise. Babylon has already come and gone. So why would you count... Babylon, again, it's already come. When you read chapter 5, that's when he was having his little uh, party going on, and the man's hand on the wall, 
And the Lord says, Thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Thy kingdom has departed from you. And Darius, the meat comes in and he takes the kingdom the very same night. So, see what he says here? And he goes down to one, two, three, and four. Now look down in verse seven. Verse seven. After this I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces, stamped the residue with the feet of him. And get this, it was diverse or different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had how many horns? Ten horns. So this one here has ten horns. If this one has ten horns and that had ten toes, is it possible that you line it up with these and go backwards? If this is the last one, then that means there's only three before that one. And the first one would not be Nebuchadnezzar. So I believe there's a good possibility that these four were yet future. Now look there in uh, chapter 7 and verse 17. Verse 17. And notice in verse 17 he says, These great beasts, which are four, are four kings. Now what does the next part of the verse say? Which shall arise out of the earth. Well then, how can you include the first one as being Babylon? when these are future ones to come. Babylon has already gone off the scene, or about to go off the scene, because it was doing the dream of Belshazzar. See up there in verse 1? He's already ruling. This is the end of his kingdom. This is the grandson in place. And then the Medes and the Persians come in. So this is why I say, line these up, not one and two like this, and then go forward. Line up the last one. You know the last one has to be the one that has the, the battle with the Lord. So the ten toes is going to be destroyed by the Lord. And now there's talking about these ten horns. So look there in verse 21. Verse 21, same chapter. Of course, if you wanted to know any of these, you would want to know probably about the, the fourth beast. Well, just look very quickly at verse 18. He says, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. When? After the fourth beast. So that means that um, when this one ends, it has to begin the kingdom of God upon the earth. So now, what do these ten horns represent? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 21 I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given. So this is the one right before the Lord comes back. And then he says in the last part of verse 22, And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So we're talking about there is a time coming when the saints are going to possess the kingdom. But the kingdom that we possess is after these ten toes, ten horns, the last one. So, look what else it says in verse 23. Then he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms. Now, this is why I don't see it as just a revival of the Roman Empire. Now, it would solve a lot of problems, just say it's a revival of the Roman Empire. 
But is it possible that all these kingdoms could be revived and all of them all put together or existing uh, when Christ comes back again? But I believe it's going to be a lot more than just that. So I don't look to Rome as to be the answer for all of my prophetic learning. Now look what else. In verse 24, And the ten horns out of this kingdom, this fourth kingdom, the ten horns, are ten kings that shall arise. And remember, this is a different one than all the ones that's gone before. So it's not one of those that's already gone before. This is a different kingdom. And these ten kings, they're different. They've never been before. They shall arise and shall, and after them... This is the one that's going to be here when the Lord comes back. And when the Lord comes back, then he's going to have his kingdom. See there in verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So Christ coming back is after the ten toes. Christ coming back to the earth, now we're talking about, is after the ten horns. And the ten horns are what? They're ten kings. Now, take your Bible and turn all the way over there to the book of Revelation chapter 17. Revelation in chapter 17. Chapter 17, you'll notice there in verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads, seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings, five fallen, one is, the other is not yet come. Now, look up here. Now, there's a good possibility, I may not be right on this, but I uh, don't think I'll be too far wrong. Now, this is the cross. There was the kingdom of Egypt, the Assyrian. Babylon, Medes and the Persians, Alexandria. Rome was here when Christ was here. So now when John on the Isle of Patmos wrote the book of Revelation, he says, five are fallen. One is at that time where he was. And one is yet to come. This last one is composed of ten nations. So these ten nations will become one kingdom. This one kingdom, I believe, these ten nations are going to get together and give their power to one person. And that will be the head of the last one world government. So there are five are fallen. One is, one is yet to come. And the eighth is of the seventh. The eighth is of the seven. So the eighth one has to be part of these ten. Because they're going to give their power. If they give it, that means they have to be democracies. Somehow, somewhere along the line. So I believe this will come. Now look there in verse 10. There are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is, the other is not yet come. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. The beast that was, is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. So 
when they say, well, this is a revival of the old Roman Empire, and it was divided up when they had ten generals and so forth, and blah, 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 blah. Wait a minute, it says they never had one yet. Well, actually, they, they haven't existed yet. So it can't be just a revival of the Roman Empire. I can see where they get it from, but I have problems with it. I'm not saying I'm totally accurate 100%, but there's a few questions and doubts that I have not been able to find anybody that can answer some of my questions that would make me totally believe it. So therefore, I believe this. Now, and he says these ten horns have not received their power yet. And it says in verse 13, they have one mind and shall, get this, give their power and strength unto the beast. So these last ten nations, and whether these are just ten nations or ten sections of the globe that's cut up in different sections, and they give their power to a person that will rule. You see, right now people around the world economically are in a chaos. I mean, there's the money woes all over the world. It's not just in America. Right now, they're, they've got trouble up there with, well, all of them. Ireland and Spain and uh, Greece and Portugal. and I mean, it's, it's all in the news. So what they are going to come up with eventually down the road is seeing that they need a one-world currency, one-world bank, and a one-world government, a one-world religion. All of it is just setting the stage for what God prophesied in His Word 2,000 years ago. And in some cases, a lot longer than that when you go all the way back to the book of Daniel. And get what else it says. And these ten kings, in verse 14, these shall make war with who? With the Lamb. So here in Daniel chapter 2, they make war with the Lamb. In Daniel chapter 7, they make war with the Lamb. And in Revelation chapter 17, they make war with the Lamb. So is it possible that all of these are saying the same thing about the same event, and you start with them and you back up and you can find a little bit better or maybe a key that helps unlock some of the other things? Remember this. It is very difficult sometimes for people to understand how God sometimes does things. For example... Let's take the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four books in the Bible. Now, if you was going to try to understand when, when did these take place? So Matthew, he recorded from here up to here. And then Mark comes along and he records what happened from here to here. And then Luke comes along and records what happened here to here. And then um, John comes along and records what happened to here, to here. See there, how easy that it was to understand the Bible. That's uh, how each one did it, and all you got to do is just read them, and uh, that's over a period of all these years, and that's what happened. Wait, 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 wait. If in every one of these books it talks about and ends with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ at the end of each one of these books, right? Well, you know that he couldn't have done that four times. True? So you don't read it that way. You have to put it down as, as Matthew and Mark 
and Luke and John, and they all happened at the same time. That way, all the crucifixions lines up together. It's not four events, it's only one time. It's just viewed at from four different angles. Matthew always pictured Christ as the king of Israel, and Mark as the servant, and Luke as the perfect man, and John as God. So whenever you study these books, you're seeing Jesus Christ as the king of Israel. And so in the book of Matthew, it talks about the, the gospel of the kingdom, uh, talks about him coming and setting up the kingdom of heaven, and the phrase son of man is mentioned about 31 times. Well, because see, the son of man shows his humanity, and the son of God his divinity. So you have a little bit better understanding that whenever you read each one of these Gospels, it's all about Christ. But each one reveals different things. Though Jesus was the king, he was a servant. And though he was God, he was a man. He was the perfect God-man. But one of these by itself will not explain them. So what you do is you can line up something that's the same in every one of them, and that's, that's the cross. And you go backwards, and you can understand a little bit more about it. Now, when we come to the book of Revelation, there's a lot of things that seems like it ought to be like this. Oh, you know, we got the seven seals, then we have the seven angels, and we got the seven trumpets, and we got the seven bowls of judgment. And they all happen afterwards like this. You're going to have trouble because... They are written, it's parallel. You'll have the, the angels, the trumpets, the bowls of judgment, and the seven seals, and, all, and it's parallel. It's like it's all happened at the same time, but from four different views. So as you study each one of these, you might see something from the eye of God, as God sees it. Then you'll see something as from the man's view as man sees it. And then from my person perspective as a, a servant of the Lord and as Christ ruling upon the earth because the whole book is about the revelation, him being revealed, and he is who he claimed to be. He is the king. 